And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who really wants a big bowl of herring and cream sauce. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, I feel happy starting the show today. I'm here with Colonel Jeff, and I'm here with our two doggies, who have been very nice so far, by the way. Yes, there's a bit... Well, as we were doing our prep work for the show, there was a bit of tussling, dog tussling, which my wife always says, you know, oh, that's just them having fun. But it doesn't look like that to me. It looks like two commandos fighting to the death in an unpopular war. <laughs> but at any rate, and we're not on Milleronia today. We're back on the mainland, and uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. And mainly, by the way, it also has to do with the weather. Yes, on Milleronia, as you fans know, I control the weather. Yes, it's me. We had one of our scientists on Milleronia figure out a way to control the weather. And I said, we'll always make it a beautiful day because we can. And he said, well, why don't we make it more natural and uh, just see what nature gives us for a particular day. And that was the last time he complained about that because he took an immediate walk up to volcano number one. No one goes against me in weather wishes. But uh, you know what? It's, it's, it's beautiful. We're back in Southern California on the mainland where my family and I live. And Colonel Jeff is here. And we've, we've recorded here before, of course. But you know what? It's a gorgeous day in Southern California now, and it didn't start out that way. And this has been a very tough time, as so many of you know, for weather all across the United States. The Southern Snow Belt, I don't even know if that's a name, but then it swings north too towards Minnesota in a snow belt, and it's a snow belt, I guess. And you know what? There's, there's pretty bad weather, and people have been hurt. And I think a couple of folks have lost their lives, too. It's a terrible time for weather. And I'm here to tell you that last night was pouring rain the whole night through. And I mean crazy rain here on the mainland in, in Southern California. And and then it was this morning, too. I'm the first one who gets up and uh, just make sure everyone's okay and take a look outside and say thank you for bringing me back. And boy, though, when I looked outside, I thought, holy mackerel, it was really coming down. And it really was still. But as Southern California can be, suddenly, folks, you know, in the next 20 minutes, the rain stops and it turns into a gorgeous Southern California day. So I hope you folks all across the country and uh, all across the world, in fact, but mainly the country, that, you know, that it's a beautiful day for you. And I hope that terrible, well, the terrible weather ends. Toot sweet. But in any case, it's great to be home. 
And, uh, of course, that's the Bradford Heart Orchestra, and I always loved our theme so much, and the Sophie Zawistowska Dancers, featuring boy tenor Mike Lucking, asking the musical question, What's better than waking up and hearing it's snow day? And the answer to that is nothing. It's the greatest thing in the world. Good question, Mike. And, you know, boy, Colonel Jeff and I just flew back, in effect, to our our boyhoods, our childhoods, with snow days. And I uh, grew up, I was uh, born in Brooklyn, well, born in Manhattan and raised in Brooklyn, just a few years and uh, then uh, grew up really on Long Island in a terrific place, a nice part of the island and uh, on the South Shore. And uh, boy, oh boy. And Jeff, by the way, Colonel Jeff, uh, grew up about an hour outside of Philadelphia and in farm country. And he had the same memories. We had the exact same events for snow days. Both the areas we grew up in had plenty of snow, a ton of snow. And boy, we were the, the same on a snow day when it had been snow, snowing that night before. And we all got up and what did we want to know? What, what does every kid want to know? Is there school? Is there school today? What about the snow? And we would, we all gathered around my dad and mom and my sister and I all gathered around my dad's AM clock radio in their bedroom and uh, mom would sit on the bed and dad was standing there dressed for work and uh, and listening to the radio. We were all, and my sister and I were, well, kind of kneeling, crouched around the radio. We looked like a family in 1935 listening to a radio show and we were waiting to hear, well, is it a snow day? And there was nothing better than that. Folks, I know we've all had a lot of advances, and of course you do too. And Colonel Jeff said, how did they even find that out today? Is it something on the internet? Boy, you got me. But Colonel Jeff had the same crowded around the AM radio moment in his family and listening to the schools being announced and the school districts. And boy, oh boy, when our school came up, and the same with Colonel Jeff, when our schools were mentioned as being closed, well... We were all thrilled. The kids were really the thrilled ones, of course, because then now they don't have to go to school. That's the best thing in the world for a kid. No school. No school. It's just fantastic. I don't even quite know why, but there's no, no school. There's no school today. It's unbelievable. And my mom and dad, you know, were saying, all right, well, the standard mom and dad response to anything, which is, we'll deal with it. All right, we can handle this. And, uh, oh, the kids, my sister and I were just rolling, and eyes were <laughs> rolling, no school. And what we knew, of course, was that, well, Dad was going to go to work, and Mom would uh, be at home there, and uh, that my sister, you know, after we had breakfast, that, uh, well, we could get dressed up in our winter outfits and go outside, and I'd meet my friends so we could make a snow fort, and... uh in the Adler's backyard, we made good snow forts. We made good snow forts on uh, on our front lawn, too. But the Adler's had a great backyard for not only snow forts, but sleigh runs. We could make a great run. The, the, their, their backyard tipped down a bit. Not, not like a huge hill or a hillock, whatever that means. But 
that just enough tipped to boy we made good good sleigh runs and as colonel jeff and i both agreed again with sleigh runs you, you, it seems that well everyone would get killed it seems that that's far too dangerous but it wasn't no one got killed but well you'd get pretty banged up on a good sleigh run you know sometimes it it runs off into a tree and you don't if you don't build the course well enough and that means you run into the tree too you go sliding at at about 11 miles an hour into the into the tree but boy that was great you can get scratched up and bumped up and maybe a a, a little bit of blood but just a little bit kid blood which is nothing to kids you know you look like an air raid victim to your mother when you come home for lunch but we would do we would we'd go home for lunch you know at, at lunchtime and mom would have something nice made and and after that well a big thing after that is you could go play again but i knew that it was uh, my job to shovel you know get the big snow shovel out the wide one with the scoop scoop size and i was i was telling colonel jeff i was very good at snow shoveling I was a good shoveler. I mean very good. In our sidewalk, we had we had regular sidewalks, nothing fancy, but just good and they were uniform. And I shoveled left to right the whole width of the sidewalk in front of our house, being careful not to hurt the lawn. I wouldn't just ram that shovel one way or the other. I'd go up to where the the, the well the lawn started and I you know, I'd t- just touch it a tiny bit. But got the snow off, and and then the driveway, because my dad had taken the car to work. And, boy, that whole driveway, I was big. You know, any driveway is big. You know, this is not like a gone-with-the-wind road going up to the house. I don't mean it's a half-mile long. It's just a driveway, but it was it was big enough. And, folks, I did a good job at it. And I was very proud, because I knew that everyone who walked in front of our house or just drove by where that road curved in front of our house everyone would know and would think to themselves boy that kid did a good job and i did so you know what what's better than waking up and hearing it's snow day no school nothing nothing's better than that there are things as good as that in life you know you could say Well, I had a big date for the weekend. And you can fill in the rest yourselves. You can fill in those blanks, so to speak. But you know what? It really is, and being around that AM radio and hearing it's snow day, oh boy, folks, it, it, it is the greatest thing in the world. And you know something? It reminded me that what do we do with snow? Well, we're in Southern California now, and of course on Milleronia, we always have it at 73 degrees and which is still a tiny tiny bit uh, cool enough to wear a sweater if you feel like it but well i don't feel like it i love milleronia the way it is the way we've made it the way i've made it and you know what though Whew, boy those winter clothes we used to wear and mike thank you it's a heck of a question What's better than waking up and hearing it snow day? Nothing. And uh 
It reminded me, though, you know, uh, for some reason I just read recently something on the Internet about, well, World War One, And uh, that was still, let's talk about Snow Day. In that part of Europe, it gets cold, very cold, and it snows a lot. And it reminded me that I'm sure some of you know this, but in World War One, the first year as it came around toward Christmas time, and on Christmas Eve, this was not official. There was no order that came down on the German side or the English side, but all the fellas on Christmas Eve just got out of their trenches, just looked across at the others, and folks, they walked over to each other and shook hands. And they smiled and they exchanged cigarettes. And, well, each side could talk just enough of the language of the other side just to get by. But it didn't quite matter. They they were all smiling. I mean, they'd been killing each other for, well, it was about five months then, I suppose, that the war, the World War One was on, and oh Lord, it got so bad there, as you know. But they played also on Christmas Day. They played soccer, and the uh, the English against the Germans, and the ceasefire story always made me please. What uh, it, it pleased me that uh, because November eleventh, which we all now call Veterans Day. It was expanded to include, well, all veterans. But it was originally called Armistice Day because that was going to be the end of the war after it, well, both sides and, of course, the Germans lost. And uh, But in 1918, that the word went out, and this was official, that there was going to be a ceasefire and the war was over. And I love how they picked this on the 11th minute of the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, which, well, on a simpler way, is called November 11th. And now it's Veterans Day, but then it was Armistice Day. And they were firing like mad. They were still killing each other right up to that. It wasn't like a slow, well, ramp down to a ceasefire. They were killing each other and firing each at each other. And then at 11.11 in the morning there, it stopped and they stopped. And there's something, well, just amazing about that. Wow, they just stopped? And uh, yes, they did. And by the way, uh, Bradford Hart, who's leading the orchestra today, and I thought, well, was that my friend Brad Hart? Because I went to, he was, uh, Brad Hart was uh, someone I went to school with in college. And we were in the same fraternity, too. And, uh, oh, we did each other a lot of favors. For instance, once I was staying at his house after working at a comedy show, and he picked me up, and he saw the show, and this was in Northern California. And uh, we went out and had a, a couple of drinks, just a couple, like 30 and we, he took me back to his house, and I was feeling uh, a little uneasy in the tummy. And uh, I, well, I got a little sick. I threw up in one of their oriental big 
pots of normally could have flowers in it or something, but it was just empty. It was in their living room. And, uh, well, it wasn't filled with flowers, but it was filled with whatever I had. And I was sleeping in the living room there. I was just, you know, sleeping on the floor, a couple of pillows, and that was fine. So I, at the time, I didn't think anything was strange. I just said, boy, I think I'm going to get sick. I think I'm going to throw up. Hey, there's a good place to throw up, inside that vase. But it wasn't a vase. It was far bigger than a vase. It was about, it was about two feet wide, two feet in diameter, yeah, and then just, well, it was a, an Asian thing. I don't know what they're called. That wasn't a statement against Asian pottery. It was just, well, maybe it was deep down. But at any rate, and his his wife was mad the next day when she found it. And, and God bless her, she should be. She should be mad. And uh, I'm not sure I've ever been forgiven for, maybe you wouldn't either. Maybe you wouldn't forgive me. But Brad, I remember just thought, holy mackerel, boy, you are something else. And I thought, well, I, I I had to. I didn't know your house. You just brought me back there, and I, I guess I could have found the bathroom, but time was a big problem. Time was not my friend. In any case, by the way, but Bradford Hart, uh, you know, wrote into us on, um, on the, uh, oh, the, uh, not the podcast, on the uh, website. <laughs> I can never remember the names of things, and I always forget that you have good sounds for when I do. <laughs> In any case, uh, Bradford Hart says uh, he, he latched on, he jumped on board with the No More Happy New Year greetings, that we always all go overboard with that. And he wrote in that No More Happy New Year greetings since and his his places he says since after the kickoff at the Rose Bowl and i thought and colonel jeff thought well, you know what that's that's a good thing to pick yeah that's so you, you can say after that it's enough with happy new year and the rose bowl as you may know was on monday this year on a monday not a sunday usc beat penn state but the reason it's on a Monday, it's an old Rose Bowl tradition and a Rose Bowl rule that you cannot have the Rose Bowl, even if it falls on a Sunday, you can't have anything on a Sunday on a church day. And uh, all right, that's fine with me. Okay, so it was on a Monday this year. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, thanks, Brad, for, for pointing that out. That's a good time to stop saying, well, you know what? The happy Happy New Year. Stop saying Happy New Year. So, and thanks, Mike Lucking, for a great question, and thank you, Sophie Zawistowska, for leading the dancers. And I'm going to tell you more about her in just a little bit. And by the Larry Miller Store. That's right, folks. The Larry Miller Store. It's so weird to suddenly I just realized that's my name. I'm saying my name. But the Larry Miller store is now open for business, and, and it features three soon-to-be classic T-shirt designs. There's the Larry, Larry Miller Drinking Society shirt featuring the famous LMDS logo and our semi-secret slogan, Nominum Quid Geminus, which means 
You call that a double? And you're not pleased when you say that, because it's usually to a bartender who didn't give you a drink that was fit for a man or a woman to pick up, especially especially a man on his own in a, in a hotel somewhere around the country. That has been me in the past. <laughs> in any case, that's the Larry Miller Drinking Society shirt and the brand new Keep Calm and Larry On shirt. That's, uh, as the colonel put it, that's not just a mantra for life. It's the motto sensation that's sweeping the nation. And that still makes me smile. That makes me happy to say that. And finally, yeah, you know what? Show how tough you are. Aren't we all looking for ways to do that? Show how tough you are with the brand new I Survived Volcano Number 2 and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Shirt. All shirts are printed on demand, so you can choose from, we have a variety of colors, and uh, all colors, all solid colors, nothing nothing plaid, nothing like that, and uh, all shirts, they're printed on demand, you can choose any one you want, and I love this, that they're available in both gentlemen's and ladies' cut for the t-shirts. I, you know what, that's fine with me, and the colonel put all that together. So what you do is go to LarryMillerShow.com slash store. That's LarryMillerShow.com slash store. And you know what? We're very glad. I'm very happy, and uh, I'm glad you are, too. It's doing well. Buy something from us. You know what? Please, folks, buy something from us, and it'll you'll be happy with whatever you get. And... Well, we'll be happy with whatever we get, because we like dough here at the show. That's sure true. And uh, so go to, Larry, go to the Larry Miller store and buy Amazon and PayPal. Speaking of being happy with good business, we love the folks at Amazon. You know what? Still the greatest company in the world because they do three things no one else can do. One, order anything you want. Anything you want. They, they, you know, they'll send you anything you want. Two, they already have it. There's no lag time for they don't have to make it. They don't have to order it from the other companies. Whoever does make it, you know, they don't have to get it used. They don't. It's all there. They have the, the warehouse, the Amazon warehouse that's a mile long and a mile wide and a mile high and a high and a mile deep. That's a lot of miles, That's a, and that's a lot of merchandise. So whatever you do, whatever you want, whatever you can imagine, they'll just send it to you. And number three, the main thing that no one else does, they send us a percentage of whatever you do order. And by the way, you don't have to go to Amazon yourself. We'll send you there. You want to go to Amazon, what you do is you, don't worry about all the work that'll take on your laptop, on your iPhone, whatever it is you have, what you do is go to our website, Larry Miller Podcast. I really did forget again. <laughs> LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have had the fish. In any case, do that. We'll get you there. Go to our website, and we have a banner that says Amazon. Click our banner. Then go take a nap. 
Lie back, you know, fold that big lazy boy chair you like in your den, you know, rock that way back. And yeah, you know, you can turn on a ball game, you can make yourself a big drink, but you know what? You don't need it. You really don't. Not at that point. Of course, that doesn't matter. <laughs> sure, bring one anyway. So do that. We'll get you to Amazon and we'll get you to another place too. PayPal. PayPal. What a great group they are that makes you feel like you're saving the world. And who knows, maybe you are. So we have a banner for them too on our website. PayPal. So just go to LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> Wasn't that the one where you used to have the, the, the whistle that... <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> Colonel Jeff makes me laugh. And I know he makes you laugh, too, and... Uh, I admit, and you probably admit too, it's possible he's just out of his mind, but I think he's actually charming, and uh, I'm glad, oh, I'm so glad we're together making uh, making this show. <laughs> wow, that's normally the, the lunchtime bell, or were you really getting annoyed because there's no clerk at the hotel desk in front? Every so often, I don't know how you are, but you actually ring the bell if they have a bell. And and these could this can be at you know fancy hotels or just motels. They'll still have a bell, so you can just hit tap that with your finger. Ding! Someone'll be out there. Doesn't have to be Anthony Perkins with with an axe in his hands. Someone'll come out there. So, in any case, that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. I love a good joke, and I hope you like this one, too. Colonel Jeff and I both liked this one. In a church in Ireland, in the middle of Ireland, in a big hilly farm country part of Ireland, on Sunday they're having, well, a church service and mass and sermon and everything in in a really lovely old Catholic church. And on one Sunday, everyone, including the priest, is astonished to see a local guy named Murphy show up. Murphy never comes. Murphy never goes to church. And after the service, after the mass, after everything, the priest goes up and says to him, you know, Mr. Murphy, I, I have to be honest with you. I'm I'm thrilled to see you here. I'm very touched. I, 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 I'm awfully glad. And he, he is touched. And he he, you know, he just put, puts his hand on his chest, and he's, his eyes are almost tearing up a little. He, he's really touched, and he says, Thank you, Mr. Murphy, and, and uh, I hope you come back every Sunday. And Murphy says to him, Well, I'll, I have to be honest with you, Father. Uh, the reason I came here is because, as you know, a couple of weeks ago I lost my favorite hat. I loved that hat. And you know what? I didn't know which— uh, I couldn't take it. I, I missed it so much. And I noticed that McGlynn over there had the same hat. It was the same thing. It looked the same way. And I just I thought, well, I wanted to come here to the church. And, and sure enough, McGlynn was at the church service. And he hung his hat up, Father. He hung his hat in the back there against the wall, you know, where where other men hang their hats. And I thought, well... I'll just take that hat. 
That's the hat I miss, and that's the hat I want, and that's the hat I'm going to have. And, well, I, you know, I went over to start to take it, but then the priest says to him, so you mean it was, it was something I said maybe in the sermon? And, he, and Murphy says, that's right. It was, uh, you know, your sermon about the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and the priest is thrilled. He said, you mean that you, just by hearing me talk about thou shalt not steal, that you decided not to take McGlynn's hat? And Murphy says to him, well, no, Father, it was after you talked about adultery that I remembered where I left me hat. <laughs> well, we got a kick out of that here. And I think even Ozzy, one of our dogs, just had a nice little rollover laugh. And he rolled over and cuddled up. But I hope you like that joke we did here. It's just, oh, it wasn't that at all. So the priest was very touched. Yeah, well, that's not what did it, though. He just remembered. No, he didn't take the hat because he finally remembered that, you know, as you were talking about adultery, I remembered where I left it. <laughs> well, you know what? Anything that gets him there, I suppose, that's 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 a good way to think of it. And, uh, and that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. I have a feeling that was Murphy coughing there, by the way. Maybe that's how that happened. He just, when he didn't have his favorite hat, he, he caught a cold. Well, folks, this is this is a very nice and uh, interesting poem. This is uh, by Edward Thomas. And he was an Anglo-Welsh writer, lived from 1878 to 1917. And uh, speaking of World War One, he was a book reviewer, and literary critic and biographer, he enlisted in World War I for the British, for his home, even though he was married with kids, and he did it. He enlisted after reading Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. And that is a beautiful poem, by the way, and I wrote a song for that when I was in eighth or ninth grade with those words and like so much of Frost, it's just a beautiful poem. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and knowing I could not travel both and be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. It's a beautiful poem. And I can't, I, I was just remembering that because that's how much it meant to me and still does. And, uh, but, and two roads of virgin knowing I, yes, and I couldn't do this. The end of it is just beautiful that, uh, I finally made a choice and picked one. I pick that he picks the one less, less used, less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. That's a great last line of that poem. In any case, uh, so for Mr. Edward Thomas, well, he was killed in battle, in the war, in France. Sure, you know, very shortly after actually getting there, he survived the actual battle. War is so strange, but was killed 
by the concussive blast wave on one of the last shells fired when he stood up in the trench to light his pipe. Well, there's all sorts of things we never know, folks. But yeah, God bless him, Edward Thomas. And he wrote this poem called Like the Touch of Rain. Like the touch of rain she was on a man's flesh and hair and eyes, when the joy of walking thus has taken him by surprise. With the love of the storm he burns, he sings, he laughs, well, I know how, but forgets when he returns, as I shall not forget her. Go now. Those two words shut a door between me and the blessed rain that was never shut before and will not open again. Isn't that a nice look at love from the great Edward Thomas? Hmm. Those two words shut a door between me and the blessed rain that was never shut before and will not open again. Thank you, Edward. And thank you, folks. I hope you like that one. The Colonel and I do, too. And uh, that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, Triple M, the magic movie moment. Thank you, folks. This is a special one. They all are. Movies should have magic, and they should all be special to talk about. But this brings out who Sophie Zawatowska is and was. And she was very, very well made. Sophie, well, Sophie was really created by, it's, well, written and directed by Alan J. Pakula, from the novel by William Styron, starring Meryl Streep, Kevin Klein, Peter McNichol, and so many others. And it's called Sophie's Choice, from 1982. If you haven't, boy, it's amazing how time flies, but if you haven't seen this, folks, see it. You'll be touched so much and intrigued and wrenched. Sophie's Choice, from 1982. And by the way, the other night at the Golden Globe Awards, uh, I don't know if you saw that, but when Merrill made, well, just a fabulous speech I'll talk about in a little bit, but uh, you know what? They showed some of her movies, some of her films, as they they flipped them by, just five or six of them, and you realize again, I don't know about you, but I think I forgot, and I think we all forget how great she was, how great she is. You look at each of those characters and watch her speaking. She has a gift for accents that no one has ever had. Maybe Laurence Olivier had it, but holy mackerel. And she, it reminded me, there was just a brief part of a scene of her in Sophie's Choice. And I remembered thinking, it brought me back, to how great she is that holy mackerel that's a it's a heck of a movie and well you know what the magic movie moment is a good one it's very meaningful 
uh, Meryl playing Sophie. Sophie has just arrived with her two little children, and she's just arrived at the concentration camp where she's been sentenced and been imprisoned. And it's the night they got there, and everyone is lined up in the cold, and the Nazi officer comes by. He just struts by, and he just looks at every new prisoner in the face, and he stops and he looks at at Sophie, at Meryl Streep, because she says, excuse me with that accent. I shouldn't be here. My father's a great professor. And uh, these are my children. I, I, I shouldn't be a prisoner here. And boy, oh boy, this guy, this officer, well, he doesn't look like a monster, but he comes over a couple of steps and... He is a monster. He says to her, he's going to kill both her children. And she, her face, the acting she does, trying to understand what, what, what? And then he says, he says to her, wait, I'll give you something. I'll only kill one of them. You pick which one? And that's what Sophie's Choice means in that novel and that great movie. That, folks, the look on her face, wait, she, she can't pick a child. She has two children. Pick one on this freezing, dark night that they've just arrived in this concentration camp. And this, this Nazi officer has just said, yes, pick one. You pick one. The one to die. And he doesn't say it in such a... He says it he's like he's almost a sane guy. He says it like, well, this is this is the rule. And she can't, she can't, she can't. And he almost takes it, them both away. And then she says, oh, and she suddenly just just almost shouts out, oh, this one, take, I think it was the daughter that she said, take the girl, take the girl. And then just, and he does, he takes the girl away. And folks... The acting she does there in that whole scene, and then after she's picked a child of hers to die, the the expression of her face, which she can't take it. She and who could? Could you? Could I? Dear God, no. She's just picked. She's made the choice. Sophie's choice. Good Lord, that was a wonderful movie. But that magic movie moment, oh, folks, see the movie. Sophie's Choice from 1982. If you've never seen it, see it. You'll be glad you did. And if you've seen it 30 times, see it again. I would like to see it again. And... You know, it's it, it, it's funny, too, that, yes, I, I saw with my wife and I went over to a friend's house where there were, uh, oh, six or seven other of our friends there to watch the Golden Globe Awards. And uh, to be honest, right on the bat, I like all these people. And, well, I love my wife. And she said, so we're we going over to Dennis's house uh, tonight for the Golden Globes? He invited us and I... Well, I just said immediately, of course, sure, that's great. But inside, I'm thinking, oh, come on. I don't want to watch the Golden Globes, oh, for goodness sake. 
seeing people at tables, you know, having a couple of drinks. And it always takes them so long to get down to the stage, by the way. Have you noticed that? It's not that big a place. There aren't that many of them. I guess it's a few hundred or something. But boy, oh boy. And as my wife just said, yeah, they don't put the TV people in the front. They put the movie people in the front. And then the TV people have to walk between the tables. And it takes it always takes close to a minute for each one to get to the stage. But you know what? All right, so I'm watching. They put our friends, the Dugans, uh, and Dennis Dugan. What a great director. He's, he directed 14 movies, all of Adam Sandler's movies. They were really uh, so good. The uh, Don't Mess With the Zohan and Billy Madison and uh, so many of them. But anyway... They put out, they're very generous. They put out a good meal, a buffet. They always make something nice. And so, all right, you know, we're all sitting there. And then when Meryl Streep got up to make her speech, I I, I don't know if you saw it, but we were all there in Dennis's house. We were as silent as that audience was. We were really taken with watching her and remembering her through her work. But boy, that was a, well, I thought it was a terrific speech. I mean, I don't, I don't care. I, I was saying to someone there, you know, that, uh, you know what, she should be president. I'd vote for her anytime. I mean, and I don't know what she thinks. I don't know if we'd agree or disagree on anything, but I don't care. I have so much respect and fondness for good lord for this woman the the artist she is and the family she has and the work she does wow folks and uh it's funny when to call her good lord i don't know about you to call that well she's overrated you know she's uh that was my mouth just opened and i think a lot of people you, your mouth just kind of falls open a little bit and you just think what? What? Overrated? You know what? Please God that I and everyone in show business should be exactly that overrated. And you too, folks, for whatever work you do, to be as great as Meryl Streep is, good Lord. Let's all shoot for that. And let I, I was realizing, by the way, let let the greats be great. I don't know why we hold things back. I mean, I didn't care. I don't care whether people. It reminded me of that uh, 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 Babe Ruth, in the, and I'm a big fan of Babe Ruth's. God bless him. Of course, he's, he's passed on now. And but you know, there's a story that I read in. One of the books about him, one of the, one of the biographies about him, that you know, Babe Ruth, as you probably know, could uh, like a drink or two, and he was just so full of, of of a kind of life. And this is during prohibition, by the way, when it was all illegal, whatever that meant. You know, I was telling the colonel that in, in New York City. There used to be, they were saying at that time, before Prohibition, there were a thousand bars and in, in New York. And that 
during Prohibition, there were 5,000 bars in New York. So it didn't exactly have the effect they were looking for, but you know that anyway. And this story is just that Joe Dugan, his uh, roommate on the road, another great Yankee, Jumpin' Joe Dugan, came back, and he was also someone who could would go out and have a few drinks <laughs> during Prohibition. But everywhere on the road, when they were in between, in baseball cities, and Joe comes back to their room in the hotel, the local hotel they were staying, and they had a game the next day, and he comes back in about four in the morning, and he'd had a few drinks, and he comes in, and as Joe Dugan tells the story, in this was a suite, and in the part of it where the, their beds were, through a, kind of a double door, he uh, he walks in and he said, right there on the floor, leaning against the foot of the bed, is the babe, Babe Ruth. And he's naked. But he should have been because he was there with a woman. And folks, this is just quite an image. He said, the babe, the bambino, was uh, on the floor there, leaning up against the bed, and he's got a bottle of whiskey in one hand and a cigar, a lit cigar, in the other hand. And a big it's a big, thick cigar, too. And a bowl of peanuts he's eating as he's drinking the whiskey. And this woman is on him. That's the only way to say it. I don't have to describe that more. She's on him. He's got a bottle of whiskey, a huge lit cigar, and a bowl of peanuts. And I remember reading that and thinking, well, that's about it. That's, do you need anything more? And she's, well, she's as happy as she wants to be. And he's uh, he's on the bottom there again. Peanuts, cigar, whiskey, at four in the morning in a hotel somewhere in Illinois. But all right. And I remember reading that thinking, uh, well, what's wrong with that? They were all so popular. Babe, God bless him, was a star, gigantic star. People with no communication. There's no TV. There's no phones that people had in their pockets. But the news would spread that the Yankees were coming through their town. Not even to play there, but the Yankees were on, say, an all-night train or an all, and they were coming through their town, and folks, people would come from miles around just to see that train go by. And it wouldn't go by at 50 miles an hour. It would be slowed down to go through a town. It would just ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. And Babe, Babe would stick his head out and tip his hat and smile and wave at everyone. People went nuts. They not crazy nuts, but they were they were shattered. That's him. That's Babe Ruth. And I don't know, folks. I keep thinking, what's wrong with that? What in the world is wrong with that? They had sure, of course. So it's Holly Keller and uh, well, Jumpin' Joe Dugan and the great Lou Gehrig. Dear God, there's so many folks, so many wonderful pitchers and. Uh, the Yankees, the New York Yankees in 1925, coming through on a train. Come on.
You and I would be out there at three in the morning, too. And we would wave at the babe, too. There's nothing wrong with being great like that. And it reminded me also, the Carnegie Deli in New York City just closed a couple of weeks ago on uh, December 31st. It was long old, well, the Carnegie Deli, the stage deli closed in uh, 2012. And uh, they were big, I guess you could say, competitors, but just big delis, just great successful delis. And the Carnegie was, holy mackerel, Woody Allen put that place in Broadway, Danny Rose, and uh, they shot inside the Carnegie Deli. And it's filled with pictures of uh, celebrities and comedians and actors and writers. And uh, boy, oh boy, that food, though. And they were talking about this article uh, on it was just about the, the last pastrami sandwich. And they talked about all the great food the Carnegie Deli had, but they said, you know what? When it all comes down to it, you can't beat a pastrami on rye. That's it. You don't need anything else on it. You know, take the top piece of bread off and put some of that, that deli mustard on. Just a little stream one way and the other way. That's it. You're done. I mean, sit down now and open your mouth. And uh, I agree with that. But you know what? Once I was working in New York, this is just recently, just a few years ago, and I had a one-man show. I was performing at a theater in New York and just finished on the last night. And the producer of that show, oh boy, that's right, Pat Hazel. He's a great, great comic and what a producer too. He really has a sense of how to do everything like this. And he and his partner in something else were uptown in New York around 57th Street and they were staying. They had just been selling something else there. And I called them. It was a Sunday night and my shows were finished and their shows were finished. And I said, hey, you know, I'll come. And they said, come on up and say hello. And I did. I went up there and uh, went to their hotel room. We sat around and talked. And, uh, and they said, well, we haven't eaten dinner yet. And I hadn't eaten dinner. And uh, why don't we all go get something? I guess it was around 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Sounds good to me. And uh, I suggested we were right by. I said to them, have you ever been to the Carnegie Deli? And they said, no, we haven't. They're both from Texas. and uh, And I said, why don't we go there? I'll take you there. And uh, not like I own the place. I'll take you there. But you know what? And the Carnegie was on. It's right around the corner, so to speak, from Carnegie Hall, which I guess is why they call it the Carnegie Deli, too. It wasn't a family name. <laughs> and uh, we went to the Carnegie Deli, which is on, what was it, Seventh Avenue, I think. And just below 57th Street at any rate. So we go in there. We sit down. And then, well, they were excited to be there. It's not that it's a fancy place because it's not. But it's big enough. And uh, we sat down at a table, a four top for the three of us. And uh, the waiter came by. And my friend said to me, well, what should we get? I said, they looked at the menu and I just said, you know what? Anything you can think of, they'll give you. Sure, look at the menu. Have fun. Just pick something out. But anything you can imagine, just say it. They'll give it to you. The waiter comes up. And folks, this is a waiter. This is one of the stranger things in life. And uh, nothing wrong with it. Just a little strange. It's the Carnegie Deli and the biggest, well, it's a gigantic Jewish palace of food. 
And the waiter came up, and he was an Indian, that is, from India. And he uh, comes up, and he, he, well, he's officially Indian. And his accent is as thick as you could want it. And I was a little surprised. Well, all right, you know, okay, sure, first of all, it's fine with me. Anyone they want to hire is fine. But it's always, it used to me, just always kind of... Uh, Short Jewish men in the uh, waiter's jackets that, you know, that are sort of gold and you, you kind of, you button them with one button and pull them down a bit. And he comes up and I, he said, uh, all right, are you ready? I'm not going to do the uh, the accent, but he has a very, very thick accent. And I said, well, sure, I guess. And they said, you go first, my friends said. And uh, I've always loved herring in cream sauce. I just always have. Oh, Boy, I mean, since I was a kid and after services, you know, in Temple, that's why I first had herring and cream sauce, pieces of herring and the cream sauce with with you know, little, not little pieces, but onions there, sli- onion slices and onion rings, not fried, but just natural onion rings there in the cream, in the herring. Boy, I grew to love it. And I uh, said to the waiter, you know what, to start with... Uh, Bring me some herring and cream sauce, please. And uh, he says, we don't have, uh, no, we don't have that. And I said, all right, uh, all right. I was a little surprised. Well, you know, okay. Uh, well, uh, I said, all right, well. And then I just thought for a second. I looked at him and said, wait a minute. You don't have herring and cream sauce? Because to me, that was suddenly like going to a restaurant in Italy and having them say, no, we don't know this word spaghetti. We don't know what you mean. Are you kidding? You don't know the word spaghetti here in Italy, in Rome? But he had said this. It's not, uh, I said, you don't have herring and cream sauce? And he kind of, you know, tapped the pencil on the pad and just looked a little bored, a little annoyed. And he said, this is Jewish food. There's this Jewish restaurant. This herring and cream sauce is not a Jewish food. It's not for Jewish people. And he had, it was as he had just said, well, the rules, and now we're done with it. Oh, okay. And then I, all right. And I uh, just, you know, flipped the menu in my hand again. And, and then I looked at him again. I couldn't, I couldn't quite understand. And he was as certain as he could be. It was... We were like Martians who had suddenly landed, and he's just telling us what's right. And I said, wait, forgive me. Do you have, you have herring? You have herring, right? He said, yes, yes, a lot of herring. And uh, I I said, you have have herring? You have pickled herring? Matcha's herring? And, you know, name three or four different kinds of herring. Yes, whatever you want. And I said, but not in cream sauce. No hanging in cream sauce. And now he's starting to get mad. He's, now he's starting to say, he said to me, this is not Jewish food. If I had the time, I would tell you what Jewish food is. And now I'm starting, because to me, this isn't an argument. This is just a Jewish restaurant. We're talking about food. And I said to him, you'll tell me about Jewish food. I am Jewish food. What are you talking about? When, when have you ever had anything that, that that this restaurant has. Did you grow up with this food? I'll bet you didn't. And he said, if I had the time, I would teach you, but I don't. 
And uh, now my two friends from Texas think again. They think this is a fight starting, but they don't know. No, it's just a discussion about food in New York at a deli. And I said, all right, all right, okay, not not Jewish food. He was so certain about it, he actually confused me. Am I wrong? Is it possible that I'm out of my mind and all these memories were just implanted in a way? He just said he doesn't have it. It's not for this restaurant. It's not Jewish food. All right. I said, okay, no, all right. And I said, uh, you know what? Just give me a, give me a, give me a corned beef on rye, please. You have those, don't you? Do you still have those? Cause I couldn't let this go. And he said, yes. So I ordered a corned beef on rye and some chicken soup. They had that too. And you know what? And then my friends ordered something and I, Still couldn't quite figure that, what? What? No herring and cream sauce, as if that's somehow Nazi food? And and then my friends got their orders in, and we had our meal, which is fine. And, you know, you just pass it off and sort of half forget it, but I couldn't couldn't believe. And they said to me, they're not lunatics, and they said, you know, uh, so that make you mad when you couldn't get what you wanted? I said, Maybe I'm wrong. That guy seemed to know what he was talking about. And But how does anyone know more than me? It's the Carnegie Deli. I came home after that. I came uh, back here to Southern California, and about three days later, I walked into Arts Delicatessen, Arts Deli on Ventura Boulevard. And, ah, oh, we've been there thousands of times. It took the kids. You know, it's a... It's like Jerry's Deli. It's a good place to just sit and relax, and they bring them. The food's pretty good there. So I walk in. I know everybody there, and they know me. And I walk in, and there's a woman behind the uh, the, the counter there, and she's got two of her kids working the bills there, and you know, taking people and seating people. And she's always she was always been very nice, and she smiled and said, "Hello, Larry. Good to see you." And uh, at Arts there, and uh, I said, "Good to see you too." And I, you know, I took a step toward the table that one of her kids was leading me to. And then I just stopped and looked at her for a second. I just said, do you guys have herring and cream sauce? I just couldn't. It popped back into my head. And she looked at me the way she should, which is she kind of jerked back a little as, as, as if you've just asked the dumbest question in the world. And I said, sure, of course. And one of the waitresses passed, she said, uh, You've had it a hundred times from me alone. And I said, yeah, yeah. I, 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 No, she said, why would you ask something like that? And I said to her, you know what? It's from the Carnegie Deli in New York. They said it's not Jewish food or something like that. And I just, I said, it's a stupid story. And, but I just wanted to touch base with you. I mean, I trust you guys here and I trust you. So you have it. Sure, we have it. You've had it a hundred times. And I went and sat at my table there, and I had the paper. I was going to read the paper while I ate. And uh, it was funny because the waitress who came by said to me, uh, there was a different waitress who said, uh, but she had heard this happening. She said, uh, hey, you want to start with the herring and cream sauce? I think you do. And I said, you know what? I do. Yes, please. Let me start with that, and then I'll give you the rest of the order. And now the woman from behind the counter there that I was talking to, my old pal there, 
uh, comes by with a stack of menus and uh, she uh, and she's getting around. She just passed me by and she said, uh, "Oh, Larry, come by Thursday again. We're thinking of trying chicken soup." And I said, "You know," and I said, "Oh, shut up and get out of here." And she was laughing and she laughed and see that is the manners of a say I guess a deli, a Jewish restaurant. She wasn't insulted. I said, oh, shut up, get out of here, you know, and I laughed and she laughed and the waitresses laughed. And you know what, though? There, it goes to show you, the Carnegie has been great. That waiter now, the guy from India, well, he's got eight years of training in Jewish food. <laughs> he may be, he may be a lunatic or maybe an idiot. He may be completely wrong. How many times has he said to people before or since of just, uh, there is no such thing as a knish. You're wrong. There is no such thing. But I know there is, folks, and so do you. And we know, you know what? We know Homer is Homer. Pluto is a planet. And what's wrong with being great? That's that's what I, I believe. Try it yourselves, and I, I wish you luck. And so remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know, no matter what you eat. Be well, and we'll see you here next time. <laughs>